What's up, guys? And welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. We are the connoisseurs of strange, navigating the treacherous waters of the unknown, diving deep into the Mariana Trench of weird information, then surfacing up to the swirling vortex of the Bermuda Triangle to bring you guys the most bizarre encounters imaginable, then dissecting them with the skill of a pathologist to theorize what exactly is going on in this bizarre reality we all reside in. I am the one, the only Shane. I'm Oren. And I'm Jenny. And combined, just like uh, the Power Rangers or Voltron, we are the Bizarre Crew. But we don't have a robot name yet. We got to think of one. <laughs> bizarre Robot. I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with something better. We'll workshop We're it. still workshopping it, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're taking submissions. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that said, what's, what's new with you guys? Before we get into everything, of course, you got to give everybody the rundown because they like hearing about our personal lives, you know? It gives us a little, makes us a little bit more uh, personable with everybody. So I can't imagine that. I don't even like hearing about my personal life, but uh, no, it's been pretty quiet over here this week. Yeah, nothing to report. Uh, certainly not as exciting as uh, your new studio setup. If you want to share that with the listener, Shane. So officially, guys, there is the Open Minds Media Studio. <laughs> and it's a very loose term for the word studio because technically what I did is we have a dining room that we don't use. So I kind of just took it over as the studio. So now it's like front door, front room. This half of the area is now Open Minds Media Studio. And for all the people that aren't seeing the video of it, I might post it on Instagram if anybody's curious and wants to see my little setup I got going on here. But uh, the breakdown of it is all the cool figurines that I'm always talking about on the show that I say are on the other side of the camera are all now in a fancy little lit case behind me. So if anybody wants to look at those while we're doing the live feeds for the Patreon, stuff like that, you know, you guys got something to look at. Got the good old... Uh, Increase of our reality banner and my bookcase that I do all of my research off of. And of course, I got my awesome uh, Hodag mask that I got from the Hodag shop back at uh, <laughs> CryptidCon. So, yeah, built it up and finally have my own area to do the show and leave everything set up. So, after a year of being a podcaster, I'm pretty excited to finally say that I have my own studio. <laughs> Yeah, you gained a studio and lost a dining room. So <laughs> <laughs> we're Americans, bro. We eat on the fucking couch or we eat over the sink. That's just that's just what we do in America. We don't we exactly. don't sit on at the fucking dinner table. 
Exactly. He needs to get one of those raisy up beds like we have. So you can eat in the bed. That's yeah. My favorite place to eat. <laughs> when I wake up first thing in the morning, the very first thing I think of is, "Fuck, I don't want to sit up." So what what do I do about that? I gotta I gotta grab a remote and I make my bed sit up for me. That's that's America <laughs> at its finest. It is too lazy to wake up and sit up. That's right. <laughs> It'll sit you right up. I swear I heard that in somebody's stand-up thing, and they did that way fucking better, but I still thought it was funny. (laughs) Yeah, like the one we've got, like you can raise your feet up too, so you can do some wild things with that. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Going back to, (laughs) I don't even want to say it. I'll just leave it at a... Bizarre encounters after dark. (laughs) 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 Oh, damn it. Wrong one. Every fucking time, man. There it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Third time's the charm. Oh. So uh, before we get into the show, of course, uh, just want to throw something out at the listeners. Uh, I know some of you guys got to actually go and meet Orin and Jenny out at uh, Encounter. Am I saying? Yeah, Encounter Quest. Encounter Quest. So uh, if anybody is interested in meeting me, because unfortunately I kind of cover the north, they seem to cover the south, and hopefully at some point we'll kind of converge in the middle and kind of get to see all you guys at conventions. But if you guys want to see... the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> at... Uh, in CounterQuest, you guys got to see, as you guys worded it, 66% of the group. So yeah. if anybody wants to come and say hello to me at Small Town Monster Fest, you guys can come and meet 33% of the Bizarre Encounters crew. And uh, unfortunately... Shame. Don't undersell yourself. It's 33.333%. So. <laughs> we'll just... Uh, I do the editing for the episode, so we'll we'll just we'll just we'll just say 34. There you go. We'll just round it up we're, a little bit. Round it up. Yeah. <laughs> Getting better. And uh, unfortunately, I won't be vending that. So if anybody wants to come and hang out, you know, I'll be wearing either a Bizarre Encounters or Increase All Reality shirt. So just come and say hello to me. Um, maybe next year we'll be vending it. But I tried to vend it. They said everything was sold out. So unfortunately, that's kind of where it's at now. So if anybody wants to see us vend, it won't be quite yet. But in the soon future, just uh, keep your ears and eyes open and you should be able to see us vending at an event here pretty damn soon. And if anyone out there has any suggestions as far as topics you want us to cover or guests you want us to talk to, or if anybody wants to contribute to the show, whether you be a researcher or an artist or anything of that nature, uh, you can always reach out to us on social media or through email, which is bizarreencounters at outlook.com. And there's also a submission form on the link tree. And just to throw in another thing about something to contact us about, uh, you guys have now heard our first local lore episode, which is just another thing to incorporate into that. If anybody, even if you don't want to be on the show, anything like that, uh, if you just have something that's very local specific that you don't think people outside of your state, region, city know about that you guys want to see us cover on local lore, just shoot us a message, dropping a name of something. It's all you got to do, quick and simple. And uh, it's something that we can always cover in the future and kind of get extensive and drop our theories on in the future. But while you're doing that, of course... You guys can always go and follow us on social media. Uh, the one that we're the most active on is Instagram, just because it's the easiest. Facebook kind of gets annoying the way they have everything set up now. So, meh, I just push everything off of Instagram. <laughs> but uh, you guys can also go and check out the Telegram and the Discord. I'm always dropping some interesting stuff on there. Uh, for anybody that follows the Bizarre Encounters Instagram page, uh, you guys see that I drop some of these little fun fact snippets or just little information bios about different types of cryptids and things like that. So that, of course, also gets incorporated into the uh, Telegram of the Discord. So if that's something that interests you, pop over there and uh, check it out. Um, 
<clears throat> if you guys want to support the show, there's multiple ways to do so. Uh, number one, if you guys want to get yourself some Bizarre Encounters or Bite Size Bizarties merch, you guys can pop over to the Open Minds Media merch store and uh, scoop some of that for yourself. Uh, it'd be really cool if you guys don't mind sending us a picture of you guys wearing it if you guys get some merch so that we can repost it on the page and give you a shout out because, you know, everybody loves getting a shout out. Come on now. And uh, another way you guys can support the show, of course, is through Patreon. There, you'll get early access to the show. Uh, when the show gets big enough that we have ads on the show, that will be ad-free over there for Bizarre Encounters. Also get live access to the show. And if you're not able to make it to the live of the show, you guys can watch the live replay of the show, which is, of course, is the video format, uh, raw audio. So it has all of our little uh, bloopers and anything fun in there because I'm sure you know you guys are probably entertained by our random bloopers that I cut out of the serious actual episodes. But um, <clears throat> then the third way... To, of course, to support us is to go and donate on Red Circle, which is our RSS host. Uh, if you guys are interested in doing that, uh, go all the way down to the bottom of the show description and there should be a link that says something along the lines of donate on Red Circle. And uh, if you guys do that and there isn't an option to like put your name or something in there, if you guys don't mind shooting us a message or an email somewhere uh, saying that you did it, we'd love to give you a shout out on the show because we appreciate any support that you guys give us. So of course, we want to acknowledge you guys for supporting our show. While you guys are in the business of supporting creators, uh, you guys can also go and check out Joe at Crypto Theology. Uh, I know that you guys have probably heard me talk about this extensive on the show, but if you guys are into this community, you guys are into the weird stuff, uh, you guys are going to find some awesome merchandise that you guys like over there. So do yourself a favor and go and check out his website and get yourself some awesome merchandise. Oh, is it my turn? I'm just kidding. You guys know what's next. All the links that have been mentioned are listed in the link tree in the show description. So tonight's guest is Gina Black from Haunted South Florida. They're a paranormal research team that does private investigations of homes and businesses. And they also do a lot of uh, fundraising events for historical societies. She was previously a guest of Shane's on episode 83 on Inquiries of Our Reality. So uh, Gina, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. So uh, he did a pretty good intro for you, but uh, for anybody that isn't familiar with who you are and what you do, if you want to expand on it a little bit more, uh, let the listeners know a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm an Aquarius and I love long walks on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that was a great intro. Thank you. I, I'm a paranormal investigator and I'm on a paranormal team in South Florida and we really got down to the grassroots of investigating with our group. And we love to visit historical societies. And we do, as you said, do fundraisers to help them out. We also give classes on paranormal investigating. So we teach folks how to do it and we hand them the gear and then they get to join us at these haunted locations. And, you know, for myself, I just, I'm always looking for answers and always just trying to push the boundaries and just, you know, be the one to, to capture it on camera and provide evidence. So when you go into your research, um, of course, you know, there's, you do do like group things where you're kind of showing people around and kind of getting them familiar with the paranormal, but assumably, uh, you don't do the whole like jump scare thing. You try to do some solid research. So like what, what kind of evidence do you try to collect when you go and do your investigations? I know you kind of go at it a little bit different than a lot of other investigators. Well, we typically, when we have guests, what we'll do is we'll start off with what we call paranormal boot camp. And it's about a half an hour, 45 minute introduction to the materials, the gear that we have. So we'll go through recorders, we'll go through the temperature gauges, the EMF detectors, all those things that you see 
on your favorite ghost hunting shows. And we will hand these to the guests and they get to try out whatever they want. And then we kind of bring them into the locations. So the, the, the main place that we host events at is in Fort Lauderdale and the property has three different buildings. So we typically try to do, for example, maybe EVP in one building, then we'll try doing a little spirit box. We kind of alternate between those uh, various equipment options and we let the guests join in. So we'll hand the guests a recorder, we'll hand the guests the, the devices and they get to see for themselves. We are not a jump scare kind of Halloween sort of thing. We are purely there to investigate. So we do explain that to the guests that, you know, not every night is going to be, you know, maybe quite as active as others. And it's definitely a mixed bag as far as what we get. And when you, when we do get evidence, we will review with the guests and show them, you know, this might be a class A EVP. This is, this EVP is just okay. And it's a lot of fun, but we definitely try to show people the ins and outs so that if they're interested in, in going on to become an investigator themselves, that they'll have the tools to get them started. So Gina, I heard you mention a uh, temperature gauge. That's not a piece of uh, equipment that I'm really familiar with. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about what that is and kind of its purpose in ghost hunting? Absolutely. So I would say that two, we have a, a so many different types of, of, you know, pieces of equipment, but I would say the two main devices are a temperature grid, which is a laser grid that will be projected onto a wall. And this grid will give us any temperature changes on that wall. So if you see, you'll see cold spikes and warmer spikes. So if you actually were to walk in front of this, this grid, you will see, you know, the outline on, on the device of a person. So if an entity were to go in front of it, you would see an indicator of temperature change on that grid. And on certain investigations, what we've had happen, for example, is we'll see a notification that there's a temperature drop in that, in that area. And we'll say, okay, if that's you, can you move to the right? And if that lights up in the grid on the right-hand side, we know that it's intelligent activity. And we've actually sort of played that game. Okay, stand on the right side. Now go to the left side. And, and we've been able to capture this on film, which is interesting. The, I would say the most commonly used temperature device would be on a millimeter, which if you've heard of that, they use it a lot, a lot on ghost hunters and ghost adventures. It's a device that checks EMF gauge, which is electromagnetic field. And it also has a little temperature reader on the bottom. Now, if you're using one of those devices and you get an EMF spike, that could be paranormal. But if you get an EMF spike and a temperature change, that has more evidence behind it to show that there's perhaps something manifesting. Because oftentimes spirits will produce an EMF spike and you'll notice perhaps maybe a five degree temperature drop at that time. So those devices are very important because they'll give you two different parameters that you could determine if it's paranormal or not. So, and you might, um, on those kinds of devices, you might get one or the other, but it's very exciting when you get both. Oh, that's really cool. We've had, uh, you know, several kind of ghost hunters come on the show before, but I think you're the first one who's talked about the uh, temperature gauges and whatnot, but um uh, that's cool about like the grid projected on the wall. It sounds almost like, you know, kind of like the trail cam things, like for Bigfoot hunting or whatever, you're just projecting it on a wall. So that's really cool. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the Bigfoot 
investigations, I've been getting a little bit more into that. And I've seen the, the temperature guns and they also use something called a flare gun, which it has a little camera on it and it'll show you almost like an infrared. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we use those too, but I know that that's a common one for the, for the Bigfoot hunters. Pretty neat. Yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, I say this all the time on the show, but uh, the deeper you get down the rabbit hole, the more uh, connections and overlap you start seeing through uh, these different subjects and, you know, kind of paranormal areas uh, might be a little more connected than a lot of people tend to think. So, I 100% agree. Connecting uh, Sasquatch research with paranormal research, I know that a lot of Sasquatch researchers will use uh, heat detecting like binoculars um, as a paranormal investigator, have you ever attempted to do something like that? Because I didn't, I don't know if it'll show up at all, or if there's maybe something specific that picks up like cold temperatures. Um, but I, have you have you ever heard of anything like that? As far as like paranormal research goes, I have heard that we haven't used any on our team. We've used a temperature gun device, which basically what you can do is you can kind of look around the room, and it has a little lens on it, so you can see if there's any temperature changes and you can also see if something had, let's say, for example, been sitting in a chair, you will see an impression of a heat signature or a handprint, which is interesting because you can see it'll be a little bit bluer or more purple if there was a colder temperature. So that's, I would say, probably what we've, we've used. But I have seen what you're talking about, the binoculars, and that is very interesting technology. And I think if you're lurking for something outside, that that would be a huge huge help to have on an investigation so you can really you know scope out your surroundings i feel like it would almost be as far as like paranormal investigating goes just because when it comes to using like thermo for sasquatch you're looking for like bright red signatures on blue so it's easy to spot but when you're trying to look for uh something that's paranormal on it uh it's going to be that darker blue like you were saying rather than like something Mm -hmm. that's distinct and different so when you're like outside, I feel like there's constant temperature change with wind. So it'd be a lot harder to read it when you're trying to do paranormal investigations. But if you're in a building with a steady temperature, I feel like it'd be a lot right. easier to actually catch and notice that little bit darker spot. Cause it might only be like a hair bit different. So you might have to have like a really good eye to really detect like a, like a human shape, for example, that's just a little bit darker blue. And that, and you just hit the nail on the head there with, you know, you have to really look at the evidence with a fine tooth comb because Oftentimes, so many really interesting pieces of evidence might be missed because they're so subtle. And if you can isolate that evidence, you know, if you have a camera recording at all times or if you have some sort of record from your device, it is so important to really look through the evidence multiple times afterwards because, like you said, it could be something so subtle. And if you miss it, then, then you know, there goes your Easter egg for the night. So it's that that's one thing I would say is a great takeaway for investigating is always, always, always double check the evidence because it might be there. I don't know if this is a phrase said by other people or not, but I've been saying it since I started my show, different eyes, different prize. Cause I feel like that fits very well when it comes into like Sasquatch research or paranormal research, because you could watch something all day. And if you're zoned in and focused, you might not catch something, but all of a sudden the next person that comes in with a new set of eyes might go, Oh, look at that right there. And you watch the tape 40 times and didn't see it. And they'll catch it the first time just because sometimes you get stuck in that like mind wave of thinking when you're looking for something specific and then you're not looking for something that's different than that. A hundred percent agree. 
And we've had some guests uh, come on the show and talk about how they didn't even notice these anomalies or things show up on their recordings or their devices at the time. And it was just when they were like reviewing the evidence later, something popped up. So um, I think that's kind of in line with what you were saying, that you always got to review and make sure you're not missing something because all this is so subtle. Just to throw in a point on that, too, if there is any listeners out there that like watching people's paranormal tapes, anything like that, if you catch something that they didn't mention in the tape, don't hesitate to message that person and tell them. Because just just a perfect example, uh, Jay from Finding Jay, who did does like Sasquatch documentaries, uh, he... In the, his very first film, I was watching it and I had like my eyes focused in on a spot and I ended up catching two eyes and it was like a high up eye shine that was probably about six and a half feet up. And the whole time that that movie's been out, he said only me and one other person has ever messaged him and actually noticed and caught those eyes and he didn't catch it at all the first time. So even if it's like established on DVD, like solid work that everybody's watching, like you never know, you might see something a little bit different. So don't hesitate to shoot somebody the message if you see something that they didn't mention. Absolutely. And then uh, just kind of a follow up to that, just because uh, we have a lot of paranormal investigators that come on and talk and the decisions kind of split between the two. When it comes to EVP uh, and spirit boxes, like what's your preference? Do you like using an actual like solid device that's intended for it? Or how do you feel about like the phone apps? Because like I said, it's kind of like split in the community between people that say phone apps are garbage and other people that say phone apps are great if you're using them in airplane mode. (laughs) Well, I would say rule number one for any investigation, all cell phones need to be on airplane mode because you will get false positives with any device that measures EMF activity. Um, I am not someone who uses phone apps. I'm not going to talk badly about them because if they yield good results for other people, I don't want to discourage anyone from investigating because our field is not going to go forward if people don't have the interest. And, you know, they're also affordable and accessible to everyone. So I do encourage people to try them. Now, as far as the spirit box and the recorder for myself, I do use, I have so many spirit boxes, Shane. It's crazy (laughs) the amount I have, but because I'm a gear junkie, I love buying gear. But I will say my absolute best device for capturing evidence is the SB7, which is a spirit box that you can buy for around a hundred bucks. And it is so incredibly important on investigations. I've captured so much intelligent activity from that little hundred dollar one versus portals versus, you know, the bigger boys, you know, the SB 11s, all of those, you can spend tons of money, but I would say a decent one to get started is only a hundred bucks, which if, if you're willing to take that plunge into the paranormal, it's an excellent tool to have. And I never, go on an investigation without it. Now, when it comes to recorders, that is a whole different topic. I think that cell phone, cell phone recording devices, uh, the apps on a cell phone, for example, on an iPhone or an Android, if you're doing a record, a voice memo, it's such a sensitive recorder that it's really good. And it's excellent to have on an investigation. I can't even tell you how many times I've picked up EVP just doing you know, a baseline investigation of a location, just filming it, uh, not even trying to get EVP. I've picked them up because those, you know, the phones are so sensitive to it. But if you want to purchase a recorder, there, the ranges, you can, you can get one for 30 bucks, you can spend thousands. But I would say, you know, in that sense, it's, it's, it's definitely good to have on you. And even if 
you're just, you know, your first timer, you're, you're using it, you know, in a dark space. I know for on an iPhone, if you use the voice memo, you can actually see a little digital screen. It's a visual. So you can see if you get a spike in, in a voice that maybe you can't hear with your own ears, but the device is picking up. So that's kind of neat, especially in low lighting and, and not having that, that uh, audio to your own ear. You can you say, oh, maybe I caught something. I saw a spike. So I would say, you know, for me personally, $100 investment, you'll never regret it for a, a spirit box. But the recorder, that's a whole nother can of worms. You can spend thousands. You know, it's really a preference. Just to uh, throw in on the whole, anybody that wants to get a microphone for their phone and be able to hear it at the same time, uh, I actually ended up buying a Rode microphone. That's just this little one that attaches to your phone. It was only like 30 bucks, super inexpensive. But you can actually hook headphones into the back and have pass-through sound with it as you're using it. So, you know, if anybody wanted to get a decent little microphone to do some paranormal investigating and they don't want to spend too much and they want to be able to hear as they're recording, uh, just just an idea for something to throw out there. And uh, we do have a lot of listeners who recently have been hitting me up about uh, saying that they're going on their first time starting to paranormal investigate and that's where their interest seems to be. So for those people out there, for anybody that's kind of just trying to get a feel for it, but they don't want to fully like invest into it yet, uh, what do you recommend that first timers should bring with them? Um, that would be kind of like an inexpensive start to everything. Absolutely. I would say the, you know, bring your cell phone, get on, turn on airplane mode and, you know, just have your voice memo app ready. So you can just have that on and recording. And if you are conducting an EVP session, make sure that everyone that you're with is very quiet because you might get a false positive for an EVP of someone's whispering, even in another room. So I would say, you know, be on the same page with everyone in your group on that so that you can, if you do hear anything paranormal, you can decipher, you know, a little bit better as far as what that is. I would also invest in an EMF reader and you can buy some no name brands on Amazon as low as $30. I would say the industry standard is what's called a K2 meter. And those are made by, I believe it's ghost stop and they're about 70 bucks. And I would say if you're willing to get the $70 one, it's tried and true. It's, it's a, it's an industry standard. Everybody's got one that you see on TV. It's an excellent device. It won't steer you wrong, but knowing how to use that, you just need to make sure your cell phones are off of, you know, on airplane mode because it will set off your device. The, the, the meter will read high levels next to a phone and it will read high levels next to any sort of electronic device. So you have to be careful where you're bringing it on that location, you know, be aware of where those outlets are so that if you do get a reading on your device, you know, if it's paranormal or if it's wiring in that location. Also, I would say, as I mentioned, the spirit box for a hundred bucks, maybe you can even find one on eBay for less. That device is so important on an investigation because you might not be able to pick up EVP due to, noise. So if there's a AC device running, or even if you're outside in a graveyard, there's wind, some recorders are so sensitive, they won't pick up EVP, but a spirit box always will. So you can get some excellent responses on the spirit box. And if you, if you are getting responses, try to ask intelligent questions so that you can know that the voices that you're hearing are interacting with you and they're not just random blips on the radio waves. So in your experience, what works the best for the spirit boxes as far as like sweeping speed and 
uh, backwards or forwards because we've messed around. Uh, Jenny has a spirit box, and we never really got much of a yield out of it. And we've had uh, different guests tell us, you know, a bunch of different things as far as what worked best for them as far as the settings and whatnot. Little actually additional oh. question to that too, um, because you said you don't totally throw out phone apps. Um, if you have a preferred phone app that people could use, if you don't mind throwing that into your answer too. I would say the only app that I would really trust recommending would just be what's built into your phone as far as uh, voice memo. Usually that's built into the phone and I would use that for EVP. I don't use any cell phone apps for Spirit Box or for Ovilus or anything of that nature. So I don't really have any recommendations on those. However, I have seen people use them and get results. I just don't know. I can't say that those results are paranormal because I don't know if it's built into that app. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to really put a definitive yes or no, if that's real. <laughs> um, as far as the spirit box settings that I use, I, my, my SB seven, I'll speak to that one because that's probably the most popular one that people use. And there are different sweep rates. Everybody has a preference. I have personally found with many different setting <laughs> tries that I go AM forward 300 and that's slow enough to where you can hear clear responses. It's, it's not going to be so fast that if something comes through, you might miss it. So I, it's not the slowest setting, but it's the second to the last slowest setting. And I, I like the AM setting because you hear less music bites. If you're on AM, if you're on FM, you're going to be because it's sweeping through FM stations playing music. You, you're going to hear lots of, you know, maybe brighter sounds, which could be misinterpreted as an EVP, as a, as a voice. So that's why I tend to go with, with the AM sweep. I always make sure that the antenna is all the way up because I have found that if you forget to pull up that antenna, it does affect how clear your responses will be. And I try to keep the volume up as, as high as I can so that I can hear it. There's also external speakers you can buy. And, you know, I, I know when I first bought my, my spirit box on Amazon, it came with a little package deal and I was able to get an external speaker included for, it was like another $10 or something silly. And I do use that once in a while, but I'll, oftentimes I'll just use the, the built-in speaker on the device. Yeah, I think we've had some other guests talk about how AM worked better for them because like you were saying, I think the joke that the gentleman made was you don't want to be uh, trying to talk to a ghost and you hear Taylor Swift. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like from what we've heard, AM's the way to go. Okay. So I had a question. Um, We went to um, a haunted location in Raleigh. It's called the Mordecai house. There's an episode about it coming up. Everyone listen. (laughs) Should be the one right Um, before this episode. Perfect. And it was the first time I had um, messed around with my EMF meter and it gives a digital reading. It's not like a, you know, a, that the other kind. Anyway, what's a good reading? Because we popped anything from 40 to over 100 in certain spots and I don't know anything about it. So, well, I would say anything really that, you know, hits over a five or 10 could be paranormal. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> if you're just getting a one or a two, that might be, you know, somebody's phone or it could be wiring close by. But I would say, 
you know, if you're in an area and there's no electronics, there's no electric electricity sources, and you're getting those high readings, that is highly paranormal. Uh, but you have to be careful, though, in these old houses. For example, when I was in the Lizzie Borden house, I was in the basement and my EMF detector was going wild. And I realized that there was a cable box, but it was hidden. So you have to kind of be, I, I would say a baseline in, in investigation in the beginning is good to, to sweep the location to find those so that you know where they are so that they wouldn't create a false positive. But I would say really, you know, if you're getting any sort of reading that's above a zero in a space that does not have an electrical source and you know that everybody's phone is on airplane mode or switched off completely, then that, that absolutely could be something manifesting itself because it's, you know, we can prove that when spirits do manifest, they're emitting EMF and it's, it's definitely an interesting, you know, correlation when you're also hearing other things like Knox or EVP or anything else that's paranormal to get that, that solid device reading. So I would say that's great. If you got those high readings, that's excellent. That's so cool. And I wish I, I wish I'd known a little bit more and had taken, like I didn't take my spirit box. I, that's literally the only tool I took with me. Um, but we could have recorded. We, by coincidence, ended up having a private tour, which was super weird because <laughs> the tour before us was full and the tour after us was full. So the guide kind of messed around with us. She's like, this is so cool. But thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, she said that um, she had had other people kind of mess around with uh, ghost hunting devices on the tours before. But uh, she said that that was the highest readings she had ever seen that day. So it was definitely a cool experience. Sounds very cool. I'm, I'm really excited to see the episode about it. <laughs> so uh, in the typical Bizarre Encounters light, uh, we definitely like to get into uh, some Bizarre Encounters. So coming from your research, uh, what's your experience that you feel gave you like the most validity of like proof of the phenomenon? And then what do you feel was like your, I guess, scariest or, you know, most like... Uh, intense encounter that you, you've had researching? Okay, I would say I'm actually currently uh, doing a little mini series on my Instagram and I decided to kind of revisit the home I grew up in and my parents still live there and we all, everyone in the family has experienced pretty high level of paranormal activity over the years, some more than others. And I would say my first experience with the paranormal that really kind of got me into asking questions and researching and getting my hands on books and, you know, watching all the shows that I could find was really, um, it, I guess I would kind of categorize it as a poltergeist kind of situation where I had, uh, it was, I was a senior in high school. I was getting ready for bed. The only person that was awake at the time was my dad and he was in the kitchen and I was, you know, going about my business, getting ready for bed. And uh, while I was washing up, I heard this loud crashing sound and I come out of my bathroom. My dad comes running around the kitchen to see what's going on. And we see I had a tennis shoe that was in the doorway to my bedroom. And this tennis shoe, the, the laces were shredded. So I immediately thought, OK, maybe this something happened with the shoe. We're looking around to see, you know, maybe it was my cat. But when we turned on the lights in, in this hallway, we noticed there was a very distinct shoe impression on the wall just above my head. Now I'm five, nine. If I reach my arm all the way up, that's pretty high up on the wall 
for there to be a very clear shoe print. And my cat, no matter how he is knocking that around, if he got that caught in his teeth or something, he never would have been able to get the amount of pressure it would require to push the shoe and get a clean 100% impression on the wall. So we sort of, you know, we tried to debunk it. You know, we tried to look at the situation and think, well, maybe the cat got it caught in his teeth and he was trying to free himself. So he knocked it off and that's the sound. But we tried to reproduce the sound and we really couldn't get it. Somebody would have had to smash that shoe into the wall to recreate the sound. And obviously at that height, it couldn't have been the cat. So who was it? And that to me was the, you know, there was always little things in the house that I heard or, you know, even might have saw it at the corner of my eye. But that situation was just so intriguing how, how something that I can't see can pick up a physical object in my reality and not only smash that into another space, but also leave on the shoe evidence. The shoelace was shredded. I mean, it was, I didn't, this was, I'm, I'm dating myself. I didn't have an iPhone back in high school or my cell phone didn't have a camera. So I, it wasn't something I thought immediately, oh, let me take a picture of this. It, because it just, you know, it was that time where we weren't taking pictures of everything in the world. So I don't really have a picture of it anymore. I actually think I landed up throwing out the shoes because I was so freaked out after this. But that was definitely kind of what launched my interest. And I would say the scariest thing that ever happened to me, I think I might've told you about this, Shane, before, but it was, uh, I had an investigation with my team. It was just a team investigation, no guests, thankfully for this. And um, our team kind of split into two groups. So the guys went to one house, the ladies went to the other. And I was with the ladies and we immediately, you know, we, we came up to this house, the caretaker let us in. And as the caretaker, he opened the key, he let us into the house and he told us, please use the latch key lock, which is like a little hook that goes, you know, over the door because he had the only key and it was a deadbolt. So we couldn't really lock ourselves in. So he said, you know, while you're inside, use that little hook lock. And, you know, we went about our business. As we were investigating, it was only about maybe 20 minutes in, one of the members of the team who happens to also be a sensitive, she's a clairvoyant investigator, started feeling a little ill. She wasn't feeling well. So, you know, we, we thought maybe, okay, let's, let's move to a different room. She's still feeling ill. So she says, okay, I'm going to go outside for some air. So she gets up to leave and she can't open the door. So I assumed it was stuck. And one of the other girls that was there too got up to help her and they look at me and they say that the door's locked. And I said, guys, it's, it's not locked. There's no way the door's locked because it's, it's a deadbolt. And you know, the, the caretaker has the key and he didn't lock it. So I get up trying to unlock the door. And I realize in this moment that the door is locked and the girl who wasn't feeling well is at the point where she's about to, you know, toss her cookies. And we're the house that we were in is a museum house. So there is no running water. There's no sink. There's no toilet. There's really nowhere to go. So she kind of, she, she ended up getting sick on the floor, which was the only place she could help herself. Um, and at that point, you know, we were freaking out trying to open this door. We landed up calling the caretaker. He comes back. He's bewildered on the whole situation because he's looking at us saying, I didn't lock the door. And so we get her out, you know, one of the other members on our team is a paramedic. They checked her out. She was fine. She was just a little 
freaked out, but you know, I was racking my brain about this because how could something move a deadbolt in a door? How is that possible? And I was really freaked out by it that something could do that. And not to mention we, you know, possibly make someone sick. So, you know, she leaves the location. We went back to gather our equipment and we decided as the investigators that we are to ask some questions and on our, our portal device, which is kind of like a beefed up spirit box, if you will, I asked, did you lock us in? And we got a voice saying locked. And, you know, I, I think that was enough confirmation for me that something was, you know, something definitely a little darker, did not like her, that particular investigator. And he manipulated her to feel sick because she had no reason to feel sick. There was nothing, any, any reason why all of a sudden she'd feel bad and she felt fine when she left. So something manipulated her and locked us in the, in the house. So that was definitely the scariest for me, just because I think more of in the moment, the panic that something could actually put us in some kind of danger is, is what freaked me out the most. Especially the fact that, uh, you know, somebody's sick in the process, that's already like a sense of panic to begin with, with that. And, you know, being, just even being the other people in the room, like you, you still get that same sense of panic when somebody's about to throw up. <laughs> Yeah, don't get it on me, please. <laughs> but in all seriousness, she was fine, um, and and we sort of, you know, everything was good. But yeah, that's it's scary. It's a scary thing. What are uh, some of the? Because you mentioned that you got to go to the Borden House. Uh, what are some of the most uh, interesting locations that you've gotten to uh, do an investigation at? Well, I would say uh, the Borden House was phenomenal, and I highly recommend anybody who's in that area. It's in Fall River, Massachusetts, so it's not really, there's nothing really around there. You kind of have to, you know, make the hike, but you can stay there. It's a bed and breakfast. You can actually rent a room, and I didn't, I didn't stay there at the time I went. I just did. They have nightly investigations, so I, I booked one of those, and it was a late night. I think it started at maybe 10 o'clock, and it ended maybe 2 in the morning or something like that. And we got to investigate the first floor, which is where Mr. Borden was killed. And we also got to investigate the, the front parlor, the dining room, the kitchen, and the basement. The basement was by far, I think, the most active on the night we were there. We got some, some interesting growlies, EMF, and I'm sorry, EVP, and some EMF anomalies down there. And it was just a very cool experience being able to walk into that house that was so, you know, embedded in my mind for so long. That was something I heard about as a kid. You know, I grew up hearing about the, the Lizzie Borden nursery rhyme song and, you know, Lizzie Borden, you know, took an ax, you know, that song that they, everybody used to sing. And it was just cool to be there. And I would say it was for anybody who's in, in that zone to try it, you will not regret it. And I also would say for my, I went, maybe it was last summer, summer before last, I went to Colorado and I did the Stanley Hotel, which was, a, it was beautiful. I'm so glad that I went, but I didn't have a very fruitful investigation. I got only a little bit of evidence, a lot less than I thought I was going to get because that location is so notorious, but it was just, it was quiet on the night that I was there. But I don't discourage people from going there. I think that it's one of those locations that it's kind of a 50-50. Sometimes people get crazy results. Sometimes you get nothing. 
So it, but just to be in that building around all of, you know, knowing that I'm, you're walking through the same halls as presidents and, you know, all these famous figures that have stayed there and even perform there and so many performers in their concert hall, it, it's just a really cool experience, but not as paranormal as I had hoped. I was going to say that uh, Stephen King, he has his whole story there that he said what inspired him to write The Shining is that he asked for permission to stay in that hotel. Uh, they said there was no other guests there. Uh, he stayed there and he started hearing noise, a bunch of other movement, hearing other guests. And then he went down to the counter and said, hey, I thought you said nobody else was here. And they said, there isn't anybody here. There's only you and me. I mean, I, I'll have to fact check it, but that, that was always the story with it. So even off of that, I always got the impression from Stephen King that he's one of the one of those guys that's seen so much that he wouldn't like over exaggerate an experience. So I, yeah. I was hoping that maybe if I went there, maybe I'd get some weird experiences like that from that guy. <laughs> well, you know what too? Um, I did after my paranormal tour was completed at the hotel, I just kind of hung out in the lobby and I, I sort of told the guy that was working the front desk, I said, don't mind me. I'm just going to be walking around the lobby. You know, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm staying here and, and um, I, I was the only person in the in the lobby, and it was I would say maybe one a.m. something like that. And I can just say from being in that huge space by myself, the the eerie feeling that you get, and imagine the whole hotel being like that. I can only imagine was the, the ambiance was probably wonderful for writing that story because it definitely gives you a very spooky feeling when you're in that space. So I know this is kind of a kind of a vast question, but it's definitely something I like to get into. And it's something that changes almost every single time I have people on the show because there's always new things that are kind of getting incorporated into it. But uh, as far as it goes right now, what is kind of like your understanding of the paranormal? Like, wh where do you kind of side as far as like the theories go? Well, I sort of, the way I side on it is I do believe that some spirits choose to stay here. I do believe that that is a thing. I think that, you know, maybe maybe someone's very content in their space. Maybe they're content in their home or they're content with a loved one that they want to stay with and they choose. I also think that there is a possibility if there were a sort of traumatic experience, such as a very unexpected death, perhaps that, you know, something like that would force them to stay around. Maybe they're stuck. They don't realize what happened. And I also think I'm really starting to fall under the impression based on evidence that there could be a time slip situation. So in that being that we're looking into the past somehow, and then they're seeing us because there is so many reports surfacing of investigators. And let's say you're in a hospital, an old hospital that's no longer in operation and you see a nurse walking down the hall doing you know holding her clipboard with her little hat on and she's just going about her business and then she stops and notices the investigator and then there's a, almost a moment where they're both looking at each other and then she disappears so that almost kind of feels like maybe that investigator saw into the past and maybe that woman in the past somehow saw into the future so I think that, that that's an interesting thought to chew on because that could be why, if that were true, that could be a, a huge reason why we're, you know, you only see a ghost for a moment and then you don't see it again. And maybe we're just kind of glimpsing into the past. Maybe they're not really there at all. Just to kind so of throw in... My three. 
Oops, sorry. Just to uh, throw in some more different possible theories onto it. Uh, one thing that I've always kind of wondered about is the whole aspect of it seems like you only see ghosts from so far back. Like you don't see ghosts that died like 20 years ago. And when it comes to a lot of things, it's a it's a topic that gets brought up constantly throughout all this community, not just the paranormal community, is the whole idea of like frequencies. So one thing that I've kind of wondered about the paranormal is when it comes to frequencies is every kind of like generation almost like vibrating in a certain frequency where we aren't, there might be ghosts that are more relative to now, like something that happened within the last 10 years or something, but it's vibrating possibly on like an elevated frequency. So we're not able to pick it up, but maybe as like time goes on and humans natural frequency rises, then they start picking up different areas of frequency. And then the other kind of idea that I was thinking of a little bit earlier when you were talking about, um, one of your experiences, um, I was kind of, when, you, when it comes to EVP, everything comes through, like you were saying, through like electromagnetic. So I don't know if you get into the whole like simulation theory type of concept, but it almost seems kind of weird where if we are in some form of like a organic simulation and when you die, you like exit the simulation, of course, there's assumably going to still be people that are trying to make contact with people that are still in the system, but they may not be able to do it through the normal means. It would almost be through like a hacker or like a third party method of doing so. So that being said, maybe they try to project themselves into this reality and it's almost like a, like a jailbroken aspect of trying to do it. So they're not able to fully manifest themselves properly. And even just expanding onto that idea, uh, we had a researcher on named John John not too long ago. And one of his, uh, recordings that he got was a, was a, um, spirit basically saying the earth is, I have a secret, uh, the earth is fake. Um, and then I think there was another part that add on to it, but it was just weird stuff like that, where sometimes it seems like when people have contact with the paranormal through EVP, it almost seems like they're trying to like project like messages or like trying to tell you something, but it just kind of comes across as like scattered, even though it may be like a solid point and that's all they can really do because they're again, doing like a jailbroken method into coming back into this reality. I think that's interesting. I, I really, I, I, commend you on that because that is well put together, well spoken. I have never heard that research before, but it certainly could account for why things kind of get jumbled. And like you said, if you're hearing an EVP and they're trying to give a message and if you have, if you have that recorded, you know, from the, from the researcher, that's some solid evidence and very interesting. I'd love to hear it. And I, I think that there's there, there could absolutely be something to do with that. And we're seeing now more and more evidence each day with the fact that everyone has a camera in their pocket. You know, um, you're seeing these glitches in the matrix or glitches in reality where maybe a bird is just flying and it's just stuck in the sky, you know, or, or something, a tree, a tree branch is falling and it's just suspended in the air and people film it from all different angles to show that it's, it's not something that they're doing. And it's, it's an interesting concept. Even with like deja vu coming into it too, that it's like you, you'll replay a memory that already happened. So even just off of that, it almost seems like a glitch in the system. Like, you know, like a skip in a DVD and then you go back for 10 seconds and it just re repeats what was going to happen because it wasn't able to process the next step. So it just restarts and tries to run back through it again. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely. And everybody's had deja vu. We all have that feeling of being there or saying something or doing something that we've never done. And it feels so familiar. And that is definitely, a, for me, I've always found that to be a very creepy feeling. It doesn't feel right. <laughs> um, so yeah, 
it's, it's an interesting thought to ponder. And I think there's certainly becoming more and more evidence available to everyday people, not just researchers, that there's something going on with it, that there's something to these glitches. Uh, when it comes kind to of piggybacking, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, just kind of piggybacking off of that a little bit. Um, you know, I'm by no means a ghost or paranormal expert, but in just some of the reading I've done, it seems like there's a lot of similarities between uh, stories of like ancient um, religious experiences and like um, miracles and stigmata and things like that. And like the paranormal side of things. So I'm wondering if like, you know, maybe these miracles or these apparitions and whatnot that people, you know, in ancient times took as a, you know, religious experience that could again, be just like a glitch in the matrix type situation. So I've never really thought about it like that till you just uh, kind of described, you know, the glitch in the matrix uh, paranormal kind of side of things. So I think that's a cool thing to think about as well. Maybe these glitches have been going back a lot farther than we would maybe initially think. Absolutely. And there's, there's so many interesting, you know, people that, that look into hieroglyphics and, and ancient, Sumerian text and, and all kinds of, you know, older civilization artwork. And we're seeing, you know, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, we're seeing all sorts of interesting suggestions of alien activity and, and maybe, maybe that's paranormal. I mean, aliens are paranormal because we don't really know much about it. And, you know, when, when you're, when you're talking about, was this something that we, it was just a story or maybe did something really happen to them? And the, and the, the interesting part of that is with religion is, you know, the game of telephone. If, you know, they didn't have a recorder back then. So they, they wrote it down and they maybe spoke the, the story to someone else. And then it was told to someone else. And then they took that, that language and then they, they converted it to a different language in another text and it kind of got changed. So we're not even really hearing these stories as they originally most likely happened because it was been changed so many times. And every time it's changed, something about the story might change or be interpreted in a different way. So you're right, it's, it's absolutely could have something to do with paranormal. And I know since you mentioned glitches and in and, and the matrix and, and we're talking about that topic, you know, when it comes to cryptids, I, I think that that's absolutely something that could have to do with cryptids because so many people, so many people around the world throughout time have these sightings yet we can't find the, the damn thing. You know, we can't find the animal or the, or whatever this creature is. There's no bone evidence. There's no grave, but maybe we're just seeing into another parallel, something that's running parallel to our universe. And we're kind of, maybe the veil is thin, and we're like looking into another space and, and really they're not even in our space. They're in their own space, but we're just catching a glimpse, just like we might catch a glimpse back in time at the nurse in the hallway of the, of the hospital. We're catching a glimpse into another universe. So I think that that's an interesting theory too, because I'm on the camp that I, I, I don't think all these people are wrong. I don't think all these people are crazy. I'm sure some of them are as, as with any, any you know story that that's out there but i can't imagine that the volume of sightings could be faked it's just there's got to be a few out there that are legit yeah and that's kind of something we've talked about on the show before as well is you know i'm a firm believer that the vast majority of people who report 
any kind of paranormal or cryptid or UFO sighting, they believe what they said and what they saw. Like whether there's you know a rational explanation for some of those, yeah, there probably is. But I think the you know the percentage of hoaxers or people that are trying to deceive is very small. And something you said earlier about you know the game of telephone and these tales being passed down through history. That's something. That's, uh, uh, the the rock. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the rock that uh, this church is built on. We love talking about that sort of stuff. And, you know, something we say a lot of times on the show is, or, you know, this is kind of my soapbox, but issues of language. You know, one person's alien is another person's angel or demon or what have you. So I think you're absolutely right as far as these people were seeing something real and they were describing and writing about what they saw in the best language they had possible. And, you know, I just think sometimes people go out of their way to try to rationalize something when the easiest solution, you know, an Occam's razor type situation is, well, maybe just something weird happened. And I don't think these people would have taken so much time and effort and energy to, you know, carve essentially bedtime stories into, you know, stone tablets and whatnot. And, I think that's really cool to hear you, you know, kind of say all that because it's stuff we talk about on the show all the time. So it's nice to hear, you know, a neutral third party kind of saying the same thing. I mean, even from like uh, from watching anime and stuff too, I'll notice that just going from one language into another language already has a split of words because each language has their specific word. And then in another language, there's words that are close to it and that's what they translate it to, but it may not carry the same impact as that word does in the original language. So then you end up with things that get miscommunicated just off of trying to find the closest word to it. Like, you know, everybody calls everything a demon, but when you go back, like the original, like root of the word demon doesn't mean anything of what we think it does now, but because of just language and and everybody trying to find a close related word to it, it took on like a, an identity of its own and it's beyond us now at this point. <laughs> so going into uh, like your paranormal research, obviously it doesn't just specifically pertain to like ghosts or spirits in particular. Um, one thing we seem to talk about a lot in the show is like shadow people, for example. Um, in your research and your investigations, uh, have you come across anything other than ghosts, including like shadow people, anything you might think is maybe some kind of like evil entity. I don't want to use the word demon necessarily, but like what, what have you come across besides yeah. just the spirits? I don't really like to use the word demon too often just because, and I'm not, I'm not going to say they don't exist. Um, I do think that some people have experienced demonic activity and, and in some cases even, you know, attachments, but I think that it's so rare. I really do. And I think that, um, you know, especially now that we're, as a society, we're understanding mental health a little bit better, that I do think a lot of the demon activities might actually have, have a lot rooted in, in the mental health that maybe, you know, was misdiagnosed. But I do believe in some cases that is real. And thankfully, I've never encountered anything like that. I, as far as shadow people are concerned, I have not experienced any shadow people but I do know many people who have and usually when people say that they experience the, the shadow people it is oftentimes associated with a negative energy or negative feeling and many people have reported that it's it doesn't feel you know 
and like anything good. So I would say in that situation, you know, it, it's, it's best really, if you can, to kind of cleanse yourself and cleanse your space, which, you know, I've, I've actually helped people do, do that before, but it's, you know, it could be attached to a person or it could be attached to a place, which is where you get into the sticky situations of, of why, why it's happening to, to someone. But I would say that, you know, when you're, you know, if, you're, if it's an older location, it could be something connected to the land or something connected to the house. It doesn't necessarily have to mean, oh, well, I have a new house, but, you know, it's built on this old battleground, you know. I mean, obviously, that could be something that was attached to the land. I have a girlfriend of mine who was a new apartment in Nashville. She's brand new and she's got something in her house and, and, you know, it, thankfully it's nothing bad, but you absolutely can. It's, it's just a surprise you know, when you come in, they've been there first, but with shadow people, it's, you have to be very aware of it. I would say just watch for the signs because I, I have, I've heard so many different stories of it becoming worse for the person who's seeing them. And it's, it's scary. We don't know what they are. It could be, it could be something that maybe never was a human or, or it could be a very negative person who was negative when they were alive and they were negative in death. So, but usually it's negative. When it comes to shadow people, it seems like all we seem to have is theories. But one theory that I've kind of jumped into is if there is theoretically other dimensions, assumably there would be a void dimension. So I've kind of wondered sometimes if shadow people would be the people that would reside in this like dark void dimension. And then kind of going back into the whole idea of like perception, uh, I was talking to somebody on my sh on Inquiries of Our Reality a long time ago about how he had this one experience where he saw a shadow person and the girl that he was with was seeing like a white apparition. So sometimes I wonder if it's a matter of like perception that maybe just like certain people pick up certain things. Maybe certain people's brains aren't capable of like picking, like recepting it. So maybe be like somebody will see something as a full apparition, but the person next to them, their brain can't figure it out what it is. So it just kind of covers it as just like a, like a black outlined image. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier about frequencies. I do believe the mind is capable of vibrating at different frequencies, you know, depending on the person. That's where we get these clairvoyance, uh, psychics, people that can see crazy things that we, we cannot see as the average person, you know, uh, psychics that can locate people that are lost in the woods, uh, you know, things of that nature. I think that some people are able to tap into those you know, those frequencies and they're able to use their brains in ways that others cannot. And I do believe you when you say, you know, some one person experienced it as one way and another person experienced the same thing as another. It's just kind of like, you know, remember that, that thing that went through uh, the internet a few years ago where it was a dress and it's, mm -hmm. oh, I see a white and gold dress. I see a blue and black dress. You know, we're seeing the same dress, but some of us see it one way and some of us see it another. We can argue all day long about it, but that's the way that it's being perceived. And I do think that if, if you're looking at something for the first time, um, if you, let's say you're seeing something for the first time and it's uh, uh, an apparition floating in front of you. If all you know is angels and demons, you're gonna assume that's an angel or a demon. If you're someone who has paranormal background, you, you know a little bit about the, the subject, you might say, well, maybe that's an angel, maybe that's a demon, maybe that's a spirit. You know, and maybe if you're someone who's, you know, Native American, you might see that and you might say, oh, that's that's 
That could be my ancestor, or that could be a spirit of the earth. Everybody has a different way of perceiving these things. And our brains have to go back on what we know, have to back up on that scaffolding of, of what our brain has already learned previously to connect those dots. Because if you've never seen something before, it's, it's going to be confusing. And, you know, I think that's really interesting when it comes to paranormal because it really depends on who is in the location. And, you know, some people can see a spirit. Some people just see a shadow. Some people hear something. Some people don't. And why is that? You know, so it's, it's an interesting thought to ponder for sure. When it comes to like, obviously the, the sense of perception, it seems like more often than not, um, women have more paranormal experiences where they visually see things than guys do. And I mean, that statistic may be off, but at least from like the people I've talked to, that's kind of what it seems like. So maybe it has to do something more with light spectrum rather than like frequency where I know women are capable of seeing a lot more colors than men are capable of. So maybe it's something that the color of it is almost is like just out of our light spectrum and women's eyes being a little bit better. They're able to see it kind of, and that's where it kind of comes through where you, you see it, but you don't really see it. It's kind of like that translucent look. And maybe, maybe that's kind of the answer to it is that they're, it's not necessarily that they're in another realm, but they're like, a certain color that our eyes can't necessarily perceive. And yes, they may not be like a solid mass. They may still be able to like pass through things, but maybe there is a more physical look to them. It's just that again, it's like just out of our like color spectrum where we're not able to see it. Absolutely. So uh, before we start kind of getting more towards the end, I know that you mentioned in the beginning, of course, that you do do tours with uh, when you have people come as, you know, guests. So if anybody was trying to look into that, they wanted to go on some of these investigations, um, if you don't mind kind of giving them a rundown of what to expect uh, and how they could go about being able to do this, like how they would contact you, uh, how they would set it up to be able to do it, and also uh, what locations you typically do these at. Because I'm assuming that you kind of do them near your area and you might kind of have like a standard couple locations that you kind of do those type of tours with. Absolutely. So my team, Haunted South Florida, does some public events. And we right now we have two that we are advertising that anyone can join. And the location in Fort Lauderdale is called History Fort Lauderdale. And it is a collective of three different buildings. One is the first inn of the city. And we also have a, and on the property is a pioneer home that was moved. So it's uh, relocated to the space. And then we have an old schoolhouse. So at that particular location, we have guests meet us in the inn and we do a little paranormal boot camp where we showcase the different devices. And then we will kind of explore the three different buildings and allow everyone on, I don't like to call it a tour <laughs> because we're not really getting you know into the history as much. We're more focusing on the paranormal. Uh, but that that's a really great event and it's it's just it's really active and what's crazy is you know I told you I've been to Lizzie Borden the Stanley Hotel I've been to a, a lot of places and that location for our team is so incredibly active and we always get something and some days it's it's off the wall crazy so I do I do really recommend that spot and that's in the Fort Lauderdale area we also are doing one next month at the Gold Coast Railroad Museum, which is a really, really cool space. It is a museum that houses old trains 
and we have uh, access to, I believe we're doing four different train cars for that event. And what you get to do is same kind of deal, quick rundown of the equipment. And then we'll have an investigator in each train car and the guests can come in and use various equipment and try various experiments in these train cars. There is a train car from World War II that was a combat medic train that was used in the war and that has some wild activity in it. There is also a presidential car that was used by various presidents. There is a really fancy schmancy vacation car from the 40s that has two levels and there's a lot of interesting activity there. And then there's what's called a Jim Crow car, which was a segregation train. That particular train car is unbelievably active with really positive energy. I think a lot of these spirits, for them, the trains were really, you know, a high point in their lives, going on vacation or moving to a new place, you know, or whatever the, the, the journey that they were going on, they, they attached themselves for positive reasons. So we've gotten some great activity there. And that event is, is in Miami. So as far as current events and upcoming events, we have a, what we call our haunted calendar which is on hauntedsouthflorida.org. And we list any upcoming events. All of the proceeds that we collect for ticket sales, our tickets are generally between 30 to $40 per person. We'll always go directly to the venue. And you know we always give back to these locations because we want to encourage people not only to appreciate the venue, but also you know to appreciate the activity that they have. And, you know, we want to keep these places in business. We want to keep these places running so that we can preserve our history, our local history. So, you know, all of that will go to them and we just want them to, to, to thrive, really. So, you know, and we also as a team do private investigation. So for a private investigation, anyone can, can contact the, us about those. We will investigate private homes and businesses, which are completely confidential. We don't post anything about that. We do not reveal anything. Nothing is public. It's very discreet. What we would do in that situation is we would come by and do what's called a baseline reading where an investigator will come in and just check the home for things like outlets and light sources and things that would cause perhaps some EMF activity. Uh, or if there's something that we can find right off the bat that could be helping that person explain what they're experiencing Maybe if there's faulty wiring that's creating a tapping noise or, you know, so if we can try to put their mind at ease and dispel something for them in that baseline investigation. And then we would go from there, we would do a full investigation with the team where we would come in, do EVP, do spirit box, use our SLS cameras, you know, just to really do a full sweep of that location. And, you know, we, we try to, as best we can, give the homeowner or the business owner as much information as we can about how to deal with it or how to cleanse their space or how to live with whatever it is that's there. Because a lot of times, you know, you hear from people, oh, well, my house is haunted, I need to sage it, I need to get the, get the thing the hell out. But what if it's your grandmother or, you know, some sweet old lady that's just there to help you out? You know, why do you want to kick her out? You know, she's not a bad person. So we try to see what we can see and, and give the people the tools they need so that they can feel comfortable in their space and hopefully not feel fear in a, in, a, in a location that they have to be every day. Banish granny into oblivion. 
<laughs> so uh for anybody that wants to come and find you on social media come and find uh your investigative group on social media or any of the videos or anything that you post uh where do they go to find all that stuff well i am on instagram and tiktok instagram is probably my main hub and that is at she haunts and also on tiktok at she haunts my paranormal team is at haunted south florida and that's really socials are the best place to reach us you can also send an email and or or there's even a phone number on our website that you can call hauntedsouthflorida.org and you know we're even if anybody has a question about paranormal gear you can always reach out to myself or my team and we'd be happy to walk you through something or help you troubleshoot something we're just you know really excited about the subject and we're always down to to chat with someone who's either an enthusiast or a fellow investigator and uh, so definitely reach out well, cool thank you so much for coming on gina i feel like i've learned a lot um like i said i'm not by no means a paranormal expert so it's always fun to have uh people like yourself come on because i feel like i'm getting an education so thank you so much this has been awesome thank you so much for having me if you guys enjoyed the show which come on now you know you enjoyed the show uh and even if you didn't you guys can easily take an extra five seconds if you guys don't mind of course to drop a five-star review for us on spotify and if you're willing to take an extra 30 seconds past that to type out a review on itunes we definitely appreciate it and we would love to read that stuff out on the show you guys can also share this episode with a friend if there's anybody that you feel might enjoy this topic and again any listeners out there that want to uh, contribute to the show in any way reach out to us through social media or email at bizarre encounters at outlook.com oh oh yeah and everything is listed in the what's that thing called tree link tree the tree the of link links tree. The, yes. <laughs> the tree of links <laughs> in the show description i've been shane i've been orn and i've been jenny and don't forget to uh always keep it bizarre 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 <laughs>